You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. So, in a few more weeks, I am very excited to let you know that we will be releasing our brand new web platform here at Bride Ministries International. We've been working on this, and it's been in development for several months now as part of a rebranding effort for the entire ministry. And I'll tell you what, it is really looking good. So why do I say that? Because I want you to be excited like we are about uh, really taking things to the next level. Now, here's the other good news. With the launch of our brand new uh, web platform, our, our new website, you're also going to see on the heels of that an app that's going to follow the design and structure of our brand new website, and it's going to have a nice integration. And so that is coming as well. And also... When we launch that new website, we will have the ability for you to register for the Spring Bride Tribe Conference. I don't know if we're, we're going to call it an advance or a conference or what. It's just getting pretty big at this point. Folks, let me tell you something. If you missed the fall conference, I'm telling you, it was extraordinary. What what God did was just off the charts. And um, this week which you are going to enjoy, uh, the Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall podcast, is the final sermon of that conference. Um, and it is called The Army of Volunteers. It's a message that I spoke, which was uh, got a little weepy at a few points. <laughs> and for those of you that were there, um, you know. But I really felt that it would absolutely important for this message to not only be uh, at the conference, but um, that it would be shared. I, I, I see that the body of Christ at large is, is in deep need of what I call the meta narrative, the big picture. And that is exactly what this podcast is going to be talking about, this, this sermon. And so... Um, Look forward to that, and before we get to that, just a few other pieces of information. Uh, one, uh, thanks to my wife, we have a brand new venue for the advance coming up in the spring, and it is going to be an upgrade from where we were this past fall, and um, I was just so excited about this find, and uh, you will be too for those of you that register to go in a few weeks. Now, in addition to that, we have released the book, Advanced Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. It's available at our website, bridemovement.com. If you haven't picked up a copy for you and a friend, I encourage you to do so. Also, uh, if you have, please leave a review. We're believing God for 100 reviews on Amazon. You know, the truth of the matter is when people purchase books, they look at reviews. And people determine their next blessing based on how many reviews have already been made. And so help someone else find a blessing. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. The prayers of this book, Advanced Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth, is is the upgrade that we needed when we tapped out what was available in Prayers to Shake Heaven and Earth. 
um, I just found a lot of roadblocks and, 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 and glass ceilings in, in helping people with the prayers that I had put into prayers that shake heaven and earth. It required a whole new set of tools, uh, more powerful, more advanced uh, prayers. And that's exactly what went into advanced prayers that shake heaven and earth. And so uh, be sure to get that if you haven't already. And I want to say thank you for those of you that continue to support us. You, you don't know what a difference you are making. It's it's just so incredible. And God is, is, is moving. And so thank you for those of you that continue to support us. It is written, he that sows abundantly will reap abundantly. And, and, and we pray for you. So if you would like to support what we are doing, just go to bridemovement.com and we have you know, a donate page. Um, also, we have a P.O. box over there if you want to send us something in the mail. Um, we even accept cryptocurrency donations. Thank you for those of you that are contributing to us that way. Um, with that said, I'm done. We're going to get right to it. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. honest, tonight's message is big. This is going to be something big. It's not going to land like a little fighter pilot. It's going to land like a jumbo jet. Because there is something that God needs understood. You need to know <laughs> a number of things about a meta narrative that has not really been well articulated even until now. How many people look around the world, your circumstances, the situations of those you love, and have ever, even once, asked the question, why God? Why God? We have three people telling the truth? (laughs) What happened here? All right, all right. Why God? And, and you know, that question is a question asking for a meta-narrative. What is a meta-narrative? It's the big picture. A meta-narrative is the big picture. Why does all of this occur? What's the point? And what's the bigger thing at play here. You know, on D-Day, there were a lot of people that laid down their lives to invade Nazi Germany's defense fortification on that shore. And all they knew was that they were taking fire from every side. But there was a meta-narrative 
Now, the generals deal on the level of meta narrative, but the foot soldiers sometimes they don't get the meta narrative until it's told to them. They, they, they have to be told. It's like, oh, let me explain to you. We are going to be invading D Day. Really, that's all you need to know. Sometimes when you're a soldier, they don't even tell you the whole meta narrative because you don't need to know. You just need to do your job. And sometimes you get debriefed. And then you'll put forth information, though, maybe give you some information. You get a little bit more of a big picture. What I am going to endeavor to help you with tonight is a meta-narrative. Because how many people know that the body of Christ has pretty much been guilty across the board of not knowing what to do with survivors? We don't know what to do. Moreover, we don't know why you're showing up at all. Well... I got abducted by Leviathan last night, put me on a spaceship with a bunch of reptiles, and we went to Titan, the moon. And we're looking at you like, mm, yeah, nah. And, and so you have survivors with these stories, and we're, 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 what we're doing here at the bride, we're legitimizing this. We're saying, wait, 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 wait. We believe you. But even once you get that affirmation, like someone believes me, it's like, why? Why are things going this far? Why am I suffering so much? Why did I have to go through this? Why, God? Like, the Bible doesn't even talk about alien grace. So what are they doing in my living room? I can't even find it in your word. Yet, I have children that are hybrids with their genetics. And I've seen them. What is the big picture here? Then we go to, you know, some churchianity indoctrinations and we get the big picture. It's all about the pre-trip rapture. (laughs) So run as hard as you can to get to the get out of jail free card. It's not adding up. We don't know what the meta narrative is, and we don't know what to do with survivors. And this has produced one of the most obscene demonstrations of dishonor in recorded history. Demonstrations of dishonor. But we don't look at it like that. We look at it like, well, I don't understand your problem, and that's your fault. Mm. But we don't get the meta narrative. Tonight, we're going to talk about the meta narrative because there is a big picture. And there is a way that many of these dots begin to align. Because God is trying to unlock something, and it's big, and it requires great sacrifice. It requires great sacrifice. 
And so we are going to talk about something I call the army of volunteers. Psalm 110. Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Psalm 110 is an extraordinary passage. It is a psalm of David. When it was written, there was no revelation of God the Father and Jesus Christ. They didn't know. What are you talking about, David? The Lord said to my Lord, what, two lords, Behold, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. What is this? The Lord said to my Lord. David was acknowledging a mystery of God that wouldn't be revealed for yet many years. The passage literally translates, Yahweh said to Adon. The word Adon means firm, strong Lord or Master. In other words, David said, Yahweh said to my master. And the Lord said, David is a man after my own heart. See, David is notorious for reaching into an age to come and pulling in the reality he walked in. He reached forward into an age to come and pulled that reality in through relationship. Here, Yahweh is God the Father, Adon, Jesus Christ. And we know this because we have it interpreted back to us in Hebrews chapter 1. And it says, God, who 
at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Skip down to verse 8. But to the son he says, your throne, O God. Oh. Whoa, right? Yahweh calls Jesus God because Jesus is God. Your throne, O God, is forever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. But to which of the angels, verse 12, has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? So we know the meta narrative of Psalm 110 is about the agenda of Jesus Christ to take his rightful seat over all the nations of the earth and through that seat, the cosmos at large. That's the context. So there is a big picture agenda of Jesus. Big picture. Now it's interesting to note that Psalm 110 is actually titled an announcement of the Messiah's reign. Now, we skip down in verse 2 so we know what we're talking about. It says... The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Which Zion? Rothschild Israel? Or Mount Zion in heaven where we are citizens? You can do the math yourself. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, if you ask most Christians, they're very comfortable with the idea that Jesus has a rod of iron with which to rule. Why? Because Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9 says, I will declare and decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. There's the agenda. The inheritance of the nations. Watch this. And the ends of the earth for your possession. All right. Punchline. You shall break them in pieces with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, and he will inherit the nations of the earth. And it is written that Jesus will break them with a rod of iron, which is interesting. Now, what you need to know is that a shepherd protects the sheep with the staff. You could knock a lion upside the head with that guy. Bop, protect the sheep. 
The rod is to correct the sheep. The sheep starts trotting off towards the wolf. Whack. Don't do that. Come on. It's the rod for correction. What does this mean? Jesus, in redeeming the nations, must correct the nations. They have to be brought into correction. Now, we move on because the Bible actually has a lot to say about this rod of iron. So interesting. Revelation 19. Now, how many of you know I'm a little bit of a theologian, right? When I study something out, I deep dive. The armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on a white horse. Follow him on white horses. Verse 15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself shall rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. And he has on his robe and thigh and on his a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is all fine and dandy, right? All right, I get it. Jesus has the rod of iron. And I'm just a no good, low down, worthless sinner saved by grace that sometimes gets taken out by really weird beings with spacecraft. Oh. Help me, Lord. Somebody pray for me. It's all fine and dandy. God has all the strength, and we're just <laughs> leftover table scraps, eating whatever the devil left us with. This is his world anyway, isn't it? Who's heard that preached? But I read Psalm 24, 1, which says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So somehow, I guess we're not reading the same book. Now, Revelation 2 is where we get a little messy. Verse 24. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, have not known the depths of Satan. As they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast to what you have till I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. Wait for it.
Ask your spirit what I'm going to say next. <laughs> Suddenly, we find an indication that there is a oneness we share with Jesus, such that the same attributes applied to him are shared by us. It's not Jesus over here and the overcomer over here watching him rule with a rod of iron. It's the overcomer stepping inside of him and holding the rod with him from a state of oneness. The rod of iron does not get applied apart from the overcomers. Those who overcome will be given power over, someone say meta-narrative. Oh, we're going somewhere. So, so we find that the same exact language applied to Jesus in Psalm 110 now gets applied to overcomers in Revelation. And in this final, in the final generation, it will be our union with Christ that unlocks our full potential as sons of God that in him we gain the same attributes attributed to him because of our oneness with him. God is not going to correct the nations without the overcomers. So the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6.17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The journey to oneness with Christ begins with the spirit. You will never come into a full alignment of oneness with Christ unless your spirit is sitting front and center on that journey. Because the Spirit has the book, the Spirit has the map, and the Spirit is made one with the Spirit of God. So the Spirit goes and then the soul is sanctified into alignment. That's not the main point. I'm just saying. So the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15. And he gave himself some to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, until we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things things into him who is the head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love so there is a process by which we are growing up into the head so the government of God demonstrated through men and women appointed office is designed to entrance the body of Christ into the seat 
of reigning with Christ. So we share in the administration of his attributes to the world and then to the creation. That's a little bit more than whacking you on the head while you fall out. That's all you think we're here to do. It's time for an upgrade. We'll do that. Praise God. Todd, we love you. It's amazing. But we're here for more. We're here for more than that. You know, in some denominations, the apostle is simply the person that gets the most people to fall over at the end of the service. Oh, looks like he's got the most anointing, so <laughs> life's a wreck, marriage a wreck, this, right? We're talking about growing up into all things, which is the head, growing up. Now, Jesus is united with his overcomers in the application of the rod of iron. But then, but then, there is an arrival, right? Because we know where we're going. Jesus has an agenda for the nations of the earth and for the whole entire cosmos to sit at the right hand until his enemies are made his footstool. But there's this integral part of the agenda. It's right smack dab in the middle. It's just so interesting, right? We're looking at, okay, oneness with the ruling agenda of God. And then we see the volunteers. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. So the day of his power requires the volunteers. The day of his power requires the volunteers. Who are the volunteers? We sit at a very interesting juncture in world history. Very interesting juncture. Because at this point in time, evil has gone so far. Never before have I, in all of the history books of the church, have I read that apostles, men and women of the Most High God, were going out with armies of angels, archies, and chariots from one end of heaven to the other to find the scattered parts of the broken and the disenfranchised that have been targeted by high technologies, alien races, 
underground bases, programming, laboratory experiments. Never in the history of humanity have I heard of people that had to figure out how to excise soul parts from hybrids and how to take apart angelic technology that they have armored themselves with because they were covered in the souls of the men that they had bound themselves to. When have you seen that in history? Who wrote that down? And we're sitting in a generation that now is doing that. Wait a minute. We are sitting at a juncture in history where the cup of iniquity of so many bloodlines has come to its climax. Climax. The Babylonian soul trade now is more advanced than ever. Children go to sleep, have a nightmare, because an evil entity comes in through an iniquity door, takes them to a ritual. That child splits. Their parents are praying for them, but don't know how to deal with the iniquity ties. Those splits are then taken, put on trade routes through the spirit, and when I talk to the seven-year-old, their part is somehow on Neptune being prostituted, and they're seven. And the dishonor comes from the great high seats that look at those that are coming with these problems and say, you're crazy. Go get some meds. Because they don't understand the job of the volunteers. See, at this juncture in world history, God is looking down and he's saying, this is a climax. This is a climax. It's dark in there. And men are still marrying and given in marriage people have to be born that's going to happen and so one by one God is pulling people before his throne we talked about pre-existence come on it's your time God is looking at bloodlines defiled beyond hope. So it would seem. He is looking at people that will be required to be fractalized and stored in the depths of hell before they die.
babies that are on the schedule to be tormented from the very moment of conception. Yeah. They're going to attack you before you even get through the portal to the conception event. You're going to be strung up by your teeth. They will kill you in rituals. You will die. And fallen angels will manifest to resurrect your body so they can continue the programming they have you on schedule for. Remember, the Bible says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Ephesians 1.4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Many survivors are called before the throne of God and they are shown the mission, the book. And the books contain unavoidable suffering. Unavoidable. It's not that God the Father in his heart wants this, but heaven needs this. Someone has to go for us. Who will go for us? I will. I'll do it. I'll do it. But this calling is going to require incredible pain and suffering. Many people remember options. You can go here. You can go here. But who will go for us here? The greatest reward, the greatest sacrifice. Because not only will you suffer indescribable torment when you cry out for help, my people will reject you. They will lock you up in psych wards. They will put you on meds. They will call you crazy. And the best of my ministers will fall short for a long time. And some of you will die before they figure it out. Who will go for us? So, 
we see volunteers. I will go. I will do it. But that is spoken from a place of the Father's love. I'm so close to the Father, I feel I can do anything. I am fully in touch with the fact that you have an ocean of love set aside just for me. I can do anything. Then comes amnesia. Meta narrative. What's happening to me? Oh, it's getting pretty dark. Oh, it's getting pretty scary. I'm surrounded by witches cursing me. I'm stuck in here for nine months. I'm hated. I'm rejected. I'm despised. My mom only wants to kill me. Where did I come from? Why am I here? What am I going to do? What's my purpose? And so, we survive, and we survive, and we survive. Where's God? And then we begin to ask the ultimate question. Why don't I just kill myself? Why don't I just end the pain? We're talking about a meta-narrative. See, this is real. We're taking away the false overlay right now. Every single one of you will leave here understanding my passion and my absolute unwavering conviction of the importance and honor that the volunteers are deserved. You're going to get it. Because there are a lot of people out there that don't. And God needs Advocates. Now we're going to talk about scrolls. Some people think that it's God's will for them to suffer. God put me here so I could sit under a threshing sledge of the devil while he watched and did Nothing. That does not sound like a loving God to me. 
And so I want to talk about scrolls because I have to ground this out. See, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Plainly stated, the will of God is not done in the earth. And so when God sends us in, he is sending us into situations and circumstances that do not reflect his will. But we must endure them anyway. So when God asks, who will go for us? There is a scroll. The Bible says in Isaiah 6, 8 through 11, I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who for will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Then I said, Lord, how long? God read him the book. This is the assignment. You are going to go and do this for us. You know what? It's called hard. That's very hard. So sometimes the scroll contains very hard things. Because it describes the nature of an assignment into a scenario that is not the will of God. Someone say finer points. Some assignments are very hard, but they come with great reward. So Paul said in Romans 8, 35, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Thus, the volunteers have scrolls that contain unavoidable suffering because they elected to go into circumstances where the will of God is not being done by people that have chosen darkness and iniquity or were into, subordinated into darkness and iniquity generation after generation after generation. And now we're at the climax. Because we are preparing for the day of his power. Psalm 139.16. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book. They all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, here's the problem. Things get even more complicated than this. Because there is hardship written into some of these scrolls. You can't get away from that. 
But then upon arrival, there is a subjugation that pulls people onto satanic scrolls, Luciferian scrolls, New World Order scrolls, super soldier scrolls, and suddenly even the scroll of God is completely out of alignment with the experience. And these scrolls are being imposed on one and two and three and four-year-olds that are put on the altar of sacrifice, killed, woken up, killed, woken up. They're having contracts drawn up in their own blood. And then in the morning when they have no sleep, they are woken up and forced to go to school and act like everything's fine and dandy. Yeah, let's do that for 18 years and see how it works out for you. So timelines get corrupted and defiled. The complexity of the mess is so severe. That many people are scared to even try. So the Lord weeps over you. Our government collects taxpayer dollars and funds black projects that destroy the lives of the people that get sent to me. And you know what? We solve them while a large portion of the body of Christ puts a 10-foot pole between us and them. Coming up against projects which the government has invested millions of dollars in order to destroy their lives from the womb. I'm rejected too. I'm okay with that. God bless them. It'll come around. I used to hurt a lot more over this than I do now because I understand fear is a real thing and ignorance is a real thing. But there is, in the Bible, what I call four types of suffering. Some of them are avoidable, and some of them are unavoidable. And unavoidable suffering includes the refiner's fire, which refines our character, and abuse and inescapable evil. Can't avoid it. When you are being abused, and targeted by other human beings with free will. That is unavoidable suffering. No, God does not override free will in order to save babies. The babies die. Because God is a God of righteousness, and he is the judge of creation, 
and he cannot judge a system, he has broken his own rules to shift. He can't. So Isaiah 63, verse 9, reveals the plan of God for unavoidable suffering. It says, in all of their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. And he bore them and carried them all the days of old. In other words, Jesus will go through your suffering with you because he is the God of compassion. Suffering with, suffering with, suffering with. That the moment there is an opportunity and you turn to him and he is able to connect you with the tools he will begin to work overtime to bring that redemption to your life. But sometimes that redemption requires a resolving of legalities, which is where much of the delay exists. Meta-narrative. Meta-narrative. Let me tell you something. The volunteers are very important people. The volunteers deserve honor. What is the purpose of all of this suffering? You know, there is a very enigmatic scripture in the New Testament. You don't hear it preached very often. I don't even like it. But I can't make it say anything other than what it says. Colossians 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings. For you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, which is the church. Paul endured unavoidable suffering in the execution of his scroll. There was no way that I was going to take on the assignment of building bride ministries and not be scorned and rejected by men, period. There was no way you were going to be born into your bloodline and avoid the pain and the trauma and the abuse, period. It is what it is. Does God enjoy watching you go through it? He weeps. He weeps. Meta-narrative. There's a big picture. For the sake of the body, there is a suffering that Paul had to endure. And I perceive that this generation of volunteers carry in their bodies, souls, and spirits. I want you to listen very carefully. I want you to listen very carefully. In this generation, I perceive that a generation of volunteers carry in their bodies, souls, and spirits a case of injustice so vast, so cosmic, so complete that once their case has been fully presented and weighed in the courts of heaven, a manifestation of justice will result in nothing less than the restoration of all things 
and the collapse of the government of Lucifer spanned across the heavens, bringing down the New World Order, the Antichrist, and everything that is evil has worked so hard to build, working from generation to generation across millennia, that in one generation, it all comes down. I need Kenneth on the keys. I need Kenneth on the keys right now. I need Kenneth on the keys. Nothing sleepy. Nothing sleepy. For the sake of the body. Watch this. Daniel 7. I watched. You're not ready for this. You're not ready for this. Are you, are you guys ready for this? I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated and his garment was white as snow and his hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth before him a thousand thousands ministered to him ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him the court was set and the books were open i watched that this is it this is why the volunteers were sent this is the moment where it all comes to get the wisdom of heaven is that God takes down the powers of darkness by his own rules. He doesn't have to cheat. He makes a sacrifice. He'd rather make a sacrifice. It is written, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages could serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. This court case exists in a realm outside of time and is eternally valid but there is coming a time where this case 
is manifested across the second heaven and across the first heaven and we enter the next era the devil's greatest fear the is when he gets called on his crimes. His greatest feat of injustice of evil, I think the world, the cosmos has ever seen, is the overplaying of a hand that will result in a full administration of the justice of heaven. And everything that evil has done will be undone. And there is a generation of volunteers that is here for the purpose of closing out an age and finishing the final works. His people will be volunteers in the day of His power. And this is last point. Do you know why heaven honors the volunteers? Do you know why the cloud of witnesses stand to behold? Do you know why God smiles and why his heart breaks at the same time? Do you know why? Because the word volunteer in Psalm 110 comes from the same word everywhere else in the Bible translated free will offering. Free will offering because God said who will go for us now I need everybody to stand up everyone to stand up Christian What we are going to do today is going to right a wrong. It's going to break an injustice that is marred on the body of Christ that I am not going to stand for any longer. Tonight, we honor the volunteers. If you are a survivor 
of satanic ritual abuse, government programming, Illuminati programming, Freemasonry programming. Do not go anywhere. Stay standing. Everyone else, take one knee in honor. Pass it out. Every one of you, we are honoring you with a rose.
taking a knee. Now, first of all, has everyone received a flower? She's coming around. All right. I think we're there. Now, I understand that some of you have sat down because you're tired or whatever, but if you are not a survivor for this, I want you to get back on one knee. And if you are a survivor, please stand up again for this part. And I want everyone that is kneeling on one knee to repeat after me. We honor you. We honor you. And we thank you for your sacrifice. We receive you and we bless you in the name of Jesus. We acknowledge your importance in the kingdom. And we give you our respect. Father God, as we sit here, and I speak as a representative, and I just repent on behalf of the body of Christ for the dishonor that we have extended towards your volunteers. And I pray that this injustice and the curses that it has brought and the structures that it has maintained would be broken, not only here, but that our repentance would serve as a shockwave that spans earth. You may take your seats. But here's the next step. We'll take all of this that's happened. 
And we're going to plug back into the Father's heart. We're going to plug into the Father's heart through worship. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially.